0: Hey friends, Jonathan Rogers here. I know a lot of you love Flannery O'Connor, and I think a lot of you love writing. So you'll be glad to know that on June 4th, I'm starting a six week online course called Writing with Flannery O'Connor. Each week, we're going to read one of O'Connor's short stories and one of her essays on writing. On Thursdays, I'll give a live lecture. There's going to be writing exercises, online discussion, and lots of opportunities to connect with other writers. Find out more at thehabit.co slash Flannery. Welcome to the Habit Podcast conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Scott Sauls and I go way back, as you'll hear in a minute. In fact, the first time I ever had tiramisu was at Scott's rehearsal dinner in an Italian restaurant in St. Louis. That's just one of the many ways that Scott Sauls has enriched my life. He is senior pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville. Before that, he was a pastor at Redeemer Press in New York City. This week marks the release of his fifth book, A Gentle Answer. Scott's gentleness and generosity of spirit come through in every word he speaks and in every word he writes. Hey, Scott Sauls, I'm so glad you're on The Habit Podcast. Thanks for making time for me.
1: Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Appreciate you having me on.
0: (laughs) And uh, uh, we have known each other for a long time. That's right. We went to college together, so I knew I Scott Sauls when he was about I don't know nineteen years old or something.
1: That's right. You actually, Jonathan, were instrumental in me becoming a follower of Christ. Uh, I don't even know if you remember uh, your instrumentality there, but uh, but you were a very very key person in that process for me. Well, back at Furman. Back in the Furman days. Yeah, right. Well, wow. I remember uh, taking a trip to Warner Robins, and you taking <laughs> me to the creeks that became the inspiration for your uh, your, yeah. your trilogy. Uh, yeah, right. Smoke some Swisher sweets together. Can I can <laughs> oh, I tell your li- listeners that that was my first ever thing that I ever smoked, and I think it was the last <laughs> thing I ever smoked. Uh, and well, your mom was really proud that you had the highest SAT oh, in the wait, history wait, wait. of okay. Warner Robbins, George. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> I could say more. You married really well.
0: <laughs> oh, I could um, say more about you. You married too. up with okay. Lou
1: Alice for sure.
0: What's that? You oh, married, married up? up? Yes, yeah, you're yeah. correct. Yeah. Right. Uh, we all did. But <laughs> Yeah, right. Who's interviewing uh, who? Yeah, right. That, that's Sorry. A, that's a good question. <laughs> Who's interviewing who? My bad. I'll also say that my uh, – my one, um, uh, what do you call it? The, intram- the one intramural championship T-shirt I own from Perman <laughs> I own because not because I won an intramural championship, but because you had so many, you gave me one a year. <laughs> I think it was from for ping pong. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I was the reigning four-year consecutive ping-pong champion. It has not gotten me any, anywhere in life. Uh, so, well, <laughs> But it felt important back then.
0: Yeah, right. Well, moving on to more recent accomplishments, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, you've have, you have a book coming out, which I think is coming out the same week that this uh, episode is going to air, um, mm-hmm. called A Gentle Answer. Yes. And this is, what, your fifth book? Is that right?
1: It's, yeah, it's my fifth book, um, which is pretty bizarre because I never planned on writing books. It just sort of happened. But, but, uh, yeah, it's number five.
0: Yeah. And so I, I was asking you before we started recording, you, the covers look like it's some kind of series, but you're saying it's, it's not properly speaking a series, these, these books that you've, that you've written.
1: No, no. I mean, I mean, Befriend and Jesus Outside the Lines are my first two books. And, um, and they kind of sorta uh, could go together mm-hmm. as a pair. And this latest book actually, and, and, and I actually inserted this remark in retrospect after writing A Gentle Answer, that it, it kind of shaped in to a, a prequel of, of my first book, which is the book that's, that's done, you know, been read more than, than the others. Uh, Jesus outside the lines, uh, and you know a way forward for those who are tired of taking sides it just sort of speaks into various issues, mm-hmm. outrage, culture, cancel culture, etc, and how Christians ought to uh, walk in love uh, in in all of the different contested issues that 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 we find ourselves in conversation about but uh, a gentle answer is is more of the heart work. Uh, it turned out to be more of, of the heart work that prepares us to engage well because uh, if you know like Tim keller says if we haven 't if we um, 're not breathing in our oxygen uh, then then we 're going to you know spew something ugly um, and, and and so this book is more about breathing in the oxygen of of the, you know, the gentle and humble in heart nature of Christ. And, and then, you know, having our souls fortified and strengthened, uh, uh, to be able to handle, uh, a climate of us against them and hostility and, you know, all, all the, you know, kind of the partisan rancor that we, we see and experience every day. Um, and it hopefully, uh, hopefully engage well. So hopefully it'll move
0: the needle a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I love, well, one thing I love that you talk about in this book is the idea of, uh, whereas outrage culture is about what I'm against, um, it's really important that we, that, we t- that we be for something. And that, mm. that seems like really important advice for a writer. I mean, it, even if, even if your, your writing requires that you speak out against something, mm. it's super important that that grow out of what I'm for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, I, mean, I don't know, I guess everybody claims that the only reason they're being outraged is because they're really for something.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think there's a, there's a country song. I can't remember who the songwriter was, but it, I, I think I heard somebody play it at the Bluebird. Um, <laughs> but the, one of the, the lyric is you, 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 won't have to ask what I'm against if you know what I'm for. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really great, uh, line, you know, wh- mm-hmm. why, why be, a negative Nelly when we don't have to? Why, why, why be a negative Nelly when we can make the same point in, in a kind-hearted, um, endearing, persuasive way? Uh, I, don't, I don't know a lot of people who've been persuaded by being shouted down. I know a ton of people who've been persuaded by being lovingly, you know, reasoned with and walked
0: with. Yeah. Well, that brings up the question, are people really interested in persuading other people?
1: I hope so. I hope there are a few of them left. I think the Mr. Rogers, the other Mr. Rogers, uh, Fred Rogers, I think the renewed interest in Fred Rogers answers that question. Hmm. Um, you know, wildly popular documentary uh, about his life came out about two years ago, a year and a half ago, and then followed by a blockbuster film where Tom Hanks played Fred Rogers and, yeah. you know, it was... It, I I think there's such a thirst um, because there's maybe there's such an absence or been such an absence, at least publicly. Um, The private stories are much different. I think there's a lot of gentleness and kindness going on in private realities, but public in the public space, gentleness, kindness, Mr. Rogers, three favorite words, I like you uh, are very rare. And, and, and so I think, I think that's sort of kindled the thirst that we all have for for kindness. Um, yeah. so hopefully, hopefully there'll be some momentum there.
0: Yeah. You asked a minute ago, you asked a question rhetorically that I, I, I think might be worth talking about non rhetorically. And you said, why be a negative Nelly? Mm-hmm. But there are some reasons that people are a negative Nelly that I think are worth. Yeah. John about. the Baptist, et cetera. Sure. Well, I'm not talking about John the Baptist. I'm talking about, oh. uh, the, I'm talking about what, what people get out of, of being, Negative. Oh, you,
1: know, you mean like the emotional reward or the uh, the, tr- well, the growing
0: tribe around around you? If, yeah, I think I'm thinking more along those lines. You know that, uh-huh. that, that you you make the case that kindness and gentleness and being for something is a better better way to go, and I certainly you know agree with that. But on the other hand, when it comes to, manu- to to moving the political needle, to manipulating people, to selling stuff, fear and anger mm. really do sell, and it, it takes it, yeah. it takes something mm. special to to resist the temptation to go that way.
1: Yeah, fear and anger get more clicks for sure, mm-hmm. um, unless you're talking about Mister Rogers. Um, <laughs> you Mr. know, Rogers. I yeah. mean, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a. Uh, it's a case study. Uh, I think it's a compelling case study. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. And, and it is hard to resist because I, th- I think, you know, kindness is contagious. Um, negativity is viral. You know, yeah. I, I, I think, uh, negativity spreads a lot. Uh, it spreads like COVID-19 <laughs> kindness spreads like the common cold. It spreads, but, but it's harder to catch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what that. Is. I think, yeah, maybe I, I think theologically, I, I think we know why that is. Um, it's what, you know, somebody said, uh, the natural religion of the human heart unaided by Christ is self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we're always looking for leverage. We're always looking to be one up. Uh, you know, Luke 18, 9, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on others with contempt. Jesus told this parable I think that's a pretty good description of the human heart that has not allowed itself to be touched uh, by by the kindness of Christ, uh, or maybe even by the kindness of other people. Um, we all have wounds in our stories, right? Um, and and we're all on guard in some way. And, and and I think you know, going on the offense is is sometimes a default way to defend uh, ourselves. Yeah, sure. Um, so
0: yeah so um of course you know as you know this is a podcast about writing um so the uh, it's so important that we as human beings be instruments of peace um now it's, you've written five books um so you have some experience quite a bit of experience writing not not to mention all the sermons you've written um I, what are your thoughts on writers as an instrument of peace? Because you know, writers writers can do what they they can be instruments of of dissension mm-hmm. if they want to be. Uh, talk to me about about writers as instruments of peace. Oh,
1: I mean, people who come to mind immediately when you um, when you use that terminology are Eugene Peterson. Yeah. Andrew Peterson, uh, for that yeah. matter. Yeah. Um, uh, and boss camp as uh, another modern voice who I think is really going for that tone and is very persuasive and effective. Um, and I think people who write in a healthy prophetic voice, hmm. uh, are, are also a version of, of an instrument of peace, you know, speaking yeah. out, um, not in a ranting way, but in a in a in a convicted way about, you know, racism, classism, mm. et cetera, genderism, ageism. Yeah. Um, so I think the prophetic voice, which can sometimes be interpreted as negative, if 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 yeah. it's a healthy prophetic voice, that there is a certain kind of anger that that is healthy and godly. Yeah it attacks, you know, hate evil, uh, and cling to what's good, you know, in, in order to cling to what's good, you've got to attack what's evil in some ways. And, and I think, uh, you know, you look throughout the history of literature and, you know, people like Dostoevsky and, um, um, you know, uh, plenty of others like him, you know, have made political statements with the power of the pen King, uh, Martin Luther King, um, yeah. Testament of Hope and other, you know, works that, that he's, he's published, uh, people like uh, John Perkins, you know, just in terms yeah. of, of, of you know, civil rights and racism and name your subject. Whatever happened to the human race with Francis Schaeffer, I mean, and, and C. Everett Koop, you know, addressing justice issues for the unborn. And and so, the, pen, the pen's a powerful thing because if somebody reads a book, it, it it, it becomes shareable. It's not over like a radio program. Um, yeah, right. You know, it, I mean, it's like a podcast episode. If, if, it, if, it, if it grabs somebody, if it resonates, then it, it has a potential of being widely shared and growing in influence and so on. So, that, I mean, words yeah. are powerful. Words brought creation into existence, right? Yeah. Um, how,
0: do, how do we know the difference between um, a prophetic... Speaking out against something and, and just outrage,
1: hmm, man. Um, sometimes they can look like exactly the same thing uh, mm-hmm. to to the to the onlooker, right? I, yeah. I think a lot of it you know only we can see what's what's going <laughs> on in our in our hearts, right? but yeah. like John the Baptist and the Pharisees. In in some ways, there there was pretty significant crossover in their message, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, But John was after something, that Christ would increase and and that he would become less. And the Pharisees were after the opposite, that Christ would decrease and that they would become more. Uh, And, and, you know, both of them preached the law. Both of them preached the message of, you know, warning, uh, you know, repent or perish. But um, one was, you know, speaking... For Christ's sake, the other was was speaking for his own sake.
0: Yeah, you you quote uh, John Perkins uh, in in the beginning of of uh, a gentle answer as saying we're the first generation to make uh, hate into an asset. Mm-hmm. Um, that's such an interesting idea. Uh, mm-hmm. The I guess one I, I want to. Um, I, I'm trying to understand what what writers who care about gentleness kindness um, you know fairness you're interested in telling a, a truer story um, a truer story than outrage right mm-hmm. um, is I guess my question is why are you what gives you hope that gentleness can survive in a world where hate is an asset and you've you've you 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 can not answer mr rogers
1: <laughs> okay oh come on that's it's like the that's like the one Wait, card i have is the mr rogers right. card
0: no because here's, here's my, one i thought you'd my
1: like mind. that since you share a last name yeah,
0: that's right i i i do like it except <laughs> that so many of the people i see around me who are so mad all the time grew up on mr rogers
1: yeah hey good point um yeah, I think the answer is there's hope because it's happened before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, look at the story of redemption. I mean, it, Paul used the metaphor of, you know, being in the pains of childbirth, which I, I always wonder what women think about Paul using that metaphor. <laughs> yeah. He didn't even have a wife, let let alone, uh, you know, give birth. Yeah. So what does he know? What? Why would he choose that metaphor? Um, but I, I, in all seriousness, I think, Childbirth and the pains of it and the groans and, and, you know, the blood on the ground, if I can get graphic about it, mm-hmm. is a metaphor for the way that healing has come into the world since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you take a look at the Bible, and there, I think, is one book in the Bible, uh, maybe one and a half, let's say half of Proverbs also, maybe, maybe another one, maybe Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, whatever you call it or want to call it. But Ecclesiastes is really the only book written by a guy who has succeeded by every measure at the so-called American Dream, right? And he strikes us as the most miserable person in yeah. the Bible. All the, all the other books of the Bible, virtually all the other books of the Bible, the books of Moses, the prophets, um, you know, the the Psalms, um, you know the Gospels, the the Epistles—they're they're all written in the context of of oppression by a person who's under it, and and um, you know the Roman Empire into which the New Testament was born and written was, uh, I mean, hyper hostile. Talk about hostility being an asset. It's the way that Rome, you know, crushed the world until until Rome fell, and and you know it was out of that context that Jesus emerged and that the death burial and resurrection of Jesus emerged and and so I, th- I think there's uh, I think every story then uh, that 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 resonates with the metaphor of the pains of childbirth also resonates with the story of redemption that it, it always comes through a birthing experience that's mm-hmm. that's very disruptive and painful in heart so so it does give me hope for for writers who who are passionate about the way of the one who is gentle and humble in heart, who's a lamb as well as a lion. You know, he's both. Uh, there's a chapter in this book uh, about anger and stewarding anger well. And and so, he's, he's both tough and tender um, at the same time. He flexes the muscles of conviction and compassion simultaneously. And so, you know, a book like this is is less about, you know, sidelining convictions or, or, or fierceness or the will to fight against things that are unjust. And it's more about bringing alongside that prophetic spirit, um, you know, the gentleness and humility of heart. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're, we're not in a position to be pompous. We're not. And and especially if we, we belong to Christ and we identify with Christ, we should know better. Um, you know, the only reason why, um, you know, we're, accepted and embraced in the beloved is because of his kindness not, not because of not because of ours and 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 what better reason to to be tender um, yeah. than that he chose to be tender with us instead of what he could have been
0: yeah yeah I mean I think it takes uh, I think it takes courage for a, a person whether they call themselves a writer or not it does take courage to say I know it looks like we're in a world where only aggression and, and only the assertion of my rights and my power, um, that that's the only thing that can possibly work in terms mm-hmm. of, of uh, getting me the life I want. Mm-hmm. I think it takes courage to, to speak up against that and say, to, 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 to tell a different story. I mean, and I, and I say speaking up against it, um, speaking, I'm sorry, speaking out against it, but I also think I mean that, that doesn 't just mean oppositional language right I mean feasting is an act of war to to enjoy what 's good and true and beautiful um, you know when when the uh, in the uh, line the witch in the wardrobe when the when the witch sees the, the people feasting she 's just enraged because that's that is a that's a kind of hostility that um, well, as, as you were saying earlier, um, as distinct from, I mean, that's being for something. And, and obviously, when you're for something, you, you are against something else. But, but to feast is to, um, is to oppose the, the powers of, of, you know, wickedness.
1: Yeah. It's um, to confront the first negative word that God ever said into creation, and it's not good for a person to be alone. <laughs> Yeah. It's, a def- it's a defiance of, of the isolated state, which is what our enemy wants, who wants to isolate us.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, that, so there's a kind of defiance that is that is affirmative. Yeah. I, I Absolutely. Think that, I mean, I, that seems pretty important to what you're talking about in A General Answer.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people these days, sort of the missional types, um, I guess I'd put myself in that that group. Um, use the term counterculture uh, mm-hmm. for the common good. Uh, and, and so, you know, counterculture sounds oppositional, but the, but the end game is for the common good, uh, to advance flourishing, um, uh, you know, in, in the world and in the human community and in the church and so on. And so, so you're right. That's a, that's a great insight. It's a true insight. Resonates.
0: Flourishing. I what what a, I, I love that word. I think it's so uh, relevant to, um, mm-hmm. well, to, to to so many things. But um, flourishing really is telling a a um, a truer story than the one the world is telling.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's uh, maybe a modern American evangelical word. You know that resonates with the old Hebrew word shalom. Um, you know, it's it's more than you know just a peaceful feeling it 's more than you know piecing out on a situation you 're <laughs> uncomfortable with yeah. shalom is is true comprehensive peace uh, uh, spiritually uh, relationally or socially, culturally or vocationally uh, the shalom that that scripture talks about envisions, fights for and promises in the ultimate sense. Um, is is a comprehensive kind of flourishing um, yeah. that we'll only experience ultimately in the new heaven and the new earth but but it's compelling uh, yeah. you know if 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 we can even believe it a little bit that it's coming it 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 changes things mm-hmm. it changes us
0: yeah um, how how has um, a belief that ultimately things are going to be Made right, and and that shalom will will reign. Um, what are some ways that has changed the way you think about the world?
1: I mean, that, that um, that's almost too big of a question. I, I know it's changed. Everything. No, it's a great question, and I, I you know, it never. Nt Wright has been really helpful uh, for me on that particular question because he, he's. I don't want to say he's reframed anything. He's just bringing to light things that have always been. True that that I didn't see, and maybe 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 a lot more Anglicans saw it than Presbyterians yeah. early yeah. on. But but uh, I didn't see until really just maybe start seeing until like eight to ten years ago when I started engaging with his thought around how the the vision, the biblical vision of glory of the new heaven and the new earth, informs now. I think the way he defines hope, uh, I hope I don't butcher it. He says something like hope is imagining God's future into the present and, and, and acting accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then he ties it to that, you know, phrase in the Lord's prayer where <clears throat> Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it, in, as it is in heaven. And, and the way that N.T. Wright has explained that is it's, you know that prayer is is a is 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 asking for, essentially, God to send appetizers. Um, you know down into the present yeah. day for the feast that's to come. Russ Ramsey, in one of his books, um, I can't remember which one it is. I think it's the one about Lent. But he he talks about how you know when Jesus does the miracle of turning water into wine. And it's the best wine, right? At the end of the party, which wasn't customary to do it that way. But but Russ he, he words it beautifully. He says, he says it's it's as if Jesus pulled reserves, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> from from the wedding feast of the Lamb,
0: yeah, down
1: yeah. into that moment. I mean, I'm getting chills as I as I yeah, as I me too say that uh, yeah. it was it's such a beautiful way to picture what Christ was up to, uh, or could have been up to in that moment was, hey, <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yeah. yet. Yeah, no yeah. eye has seen, no ear has heard, no taste buds have, you know, tasted, you know, yeah. what, what the Lord has in store. It well, should make I, us more hopeful in our writing and communicating. it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I was about to say, one thing I, I love about that idea of, of appetizers, of, of, the, of the, you know, wedding feast of the Lamb. Is that it gives it, it? That's something I can imagine being a part of. Mm. Right. I mean, I, I I can't imagine. I mean, you know, the idea that I'm going to some you know, somehow bring the kingdom of God to bear on on the present. That's yeah. that's kind of a big. That's a big ask, and more than yeah. it is my responsibility to do. But the idea of of being a part, being a <laughs> a uh, a waiter, so to speak, mm. bringing an appetizer on a tray.
1: Yeah. Um, it's amazing. And getting to eat as well. Yeah, as right. Word, you know? That's
0: right. If, yeah. We, but usually those, uh, those guys who won't work, mm. work the banquets don't get to eat until the very end. Uh.
1: <laughs> don't, don't you th- Yeah, but they can eat as much as they want. Uh, what's <laughs> That's left a good right? Um don't, don't you think, Jonathan, that the happily ever after story is so satisfying? I, I think it's just really fascinating how, how that story is so satisfying. And the dystopian story is so dissatisfying, you know, Brave New World, you know, 1984, like, oh, you know, you just kind of feel gross after it and, and you feel gross partly because you think that's actually how the world was set up to work. And, and yet we, we resonate so much with a happily ever after story. Why? Because that's, that is the story, capital S, um, yeah. you know, that, that's, Hardwired in, into every human heart to long for, and of course we we lose that longing through cynicism and lies and and other things. But but that happily ever after story is actually it's it's not an escape from reality, right. like Camus called it, a, you know, an escape from reality. Woody Allen won't. You know, Woody Allen says he enjoys art, you know, other people's art because he won't watch his own movies because he feels so much shame uh, at the mistakes he makes. But yeah. he he enjoys other people's art to escape reality. But 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 the best and most beautiful art is actually an, a reintroduction into
0: reality. Yes. Um, right. Oh, absolutely. I think that's so true. I mean, there is such there is such thing as art that is escapist, um, but. But it's not the happily ever after stories that are escapist.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, no, I think that's right. I, I think I think stories, the right kind of stories, are an invitation into a reality that's that's truer and bigger and more joyous than the reality that we see with our eyeballs. Yeah, and you know, yes, the sadness and the brokenness and the sin, all that's true. It's just not the truest thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what's you know, with with storytelling and with art of all kinds, um, and for that matter, with social justice and and whatever kinds of endeavors people are involved in, um, there's this whole range that's available to us of of telling the truth, mm-hmm. uh, which includes acknowledging. Uh, you know, this in, in Flannery O'Connor, for instance, portrays a, a a world that that can be pretty pretty dark and pretty bleak, mm-hmm. and yet even for you know. Flannery O'Connor never suggested that's the truest thing about the stories that she was that's writing. That's right. That's right. And Have you
1: read any of her stuff?
0: Have I read I to look into it. I'll Look into Flannery O'Connor. There's really good stuff in there. Um, yeah. That, but that that model of, of true, truer, and truest, uh, I, I think is really so helpful for yeah. um, for giving us a way of, of talking about um, you know. Why we tell the stories we tell?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I've never heard it put that way. True, truer, and truest. But but, um, I it, to me, it fits perfectly into the categories of the the creation, fall, redemption hmm. narrative. Right? It's it's true that that God created things perfect and people messed it up, mm-hmm. um, created disaster for ourselves, mm-hmm. um, and then. The truer <laughs> part of the story is that we're in an in-between time, right, where mm-hmm. where Jesus has already begun the process of making all things new, and where His kingdom has already come uh, in yeah. in in subtle but very real ways. And then the truest story is is you know where the trajectory is headed, you know the final outcome, the the one and only everlasting chapter of the book, which happens to be the last one, right? Yeah. All the other chapters are. Are, are are temporary at least in space yes. and time they yeah. they which god lives outside of but we're 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 in a we're in a temporary crappy chapter uh and and but but we've already got the last one it's written it's it's sealed it's the story it's the truth about life and 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 it's that happily ever after that that you know that stirs our longing every time we read a story that Ends well, and the justice is yeah. served, and yeah. the bully is sat in the corner, and the um, <laughs> you know the the bullied kid, you know, is class
0: president. You know, it's just <laughs> it's just something yeah. that resonates, right? Um, yeah. So. yeah, I also think this idea of, of the, the true and the and the truest um, is super helpful, you know, with our anthropology and with our way we we we. Talk to one another and ourselves about our own failures. You know, mm-hmm. um, to say, "Yeah, it's true. You you really screwed up, or I really screwed up." But that's not the truest thing. Yeah. About us.
1: Yeah, it's not. Sometimes it feels like the truest thing, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but 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 you're right. It is not. Uh, yeah. It is not. Even when it feels like it is. You know, we 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 talk we talk about that. Um, you know, just in our own ministry context. Um, you know, one of the one of the kind of regular phrases that that we speak is is that, um, you know, in terms of identity and trajectory, your identity and trajectory are exactly the same uh, in Christ, uh, in your very best moment as they are in your very worst and vice versa. You know, yeah. they're just certain things that are certain and fixed. Mm-hmm. Um that, that we're just positioned to receive and and you know yeah. don't really function as as contributors um you know in terms of how you know things like redemption <laughs> are accomplished and applied yeah. uh, and yet we get to enter into it and participate in it um, so I'm getting theological this is really more
0: about writing books yeah i know about, i was trying um, to, I was trying to yeah, think sorry Adam. sorry Adam reign that back to writing, Sorry. but i just gonna let, let the theological <laughs> point stand. Well there have been things written about these things.
1: That's these true. Letters, so yeah,
0: yeah. Um, okay on a more practical well I mean not a more mundane note, not more mm-hmm. practical note. Um, you're you're busy. How do you uh, how do you write books? I mean you're you're the senior pastor of a large church. How do you how do you do where do you work this in?
1: So um, some things come really slowly to me, and other things come really quickly and One thing that comes slowly is writing chapters. Mm-hmm. One thing that comes quickly is writing sermons and okay. um, you know it used to take me twenty hours to write a sermon now it takes me about four okay and every sermon has has probably sixty percent uh, in it of any given chapter's material, and so it gives me a sermon gives me a head start uh-huh. for the laborious process of, of writing a chapter. When I first started writing, I thought that, that it would just be an interchangeable discipline. Mm-hmm. And it's so different because when you write to speak, you, you don't feel this pressure to be a perfectionist because mm-hmm. you know that there's going to be something that happens. If you've done it enough, you know that in the moment there's there's going to be um, sort of this fresh insight, you know. The, the theologians call it unction for preachers, but there's this, there's this sort of, you know, if you write your seventy percent, you know, sermon, the, the remaining thirty percent comes to you in the spoken moment. Typically, right? It doesn't work like that with writing. Yeah. Like you, you've got to nail it, <laughs> because yeah. when you're done, you're done. Yeah. And you know, thank thank the Lord for editors. Uh, I don't, you you don't need one. I need one. Um, right now my editor is, uh, uh, Webster Younts, who's over at HarperCollins. Collins, um, Thomas Nelson. and He does a great job, but I also feel like I'm back in college English class because he's so dogged on, are you sure Gandhi said that? Are you sure that, yeah. can you, you know, cite the original source because okay. you know, what so-and-so quoted that doesn't count. Yeah. So yeah. he's like, he's like a professor, which you would uh-huh. appreciate. Yeah. And I, I, it, it, it initially rattled me, but, but, but after the fact, I feel like okay, uh, you know, yeah. um, so thankful to have oh, somebody who cares that much pressure. to push me.
0: What's that? Is it a good editor? Or such a treasure. Oh
1: my goodness! And and he's you know he's he's a genius with words. He's a genius with you know what lands and what doesn't. And so uh-huh. so that really 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 helps a lot. And and I hit the jackpot with. Um, you know, with my my two Tyndale books too, just had a great editor, uh, mm-hmm. and we were on the same wavelength, so so there was yeah. no ideological tension or anything like that, yeah. which can sometimes be a problem I under, as I understand it. But um, but yeah, I, I need those editors to sort of you know, my wife is actually the first editor, and the and she does uh-huh. a great job. Like she's she's amazing at those things, and um, uh, but you know, the publisher really helps in a, in assigning a, a partner to sort of get it right. Yeah, yeah. but. Yeah, I write one day a month. Um, If I'm in a writing season, I ask for for a one-year writing period on a book, and uh, I will isolate one full day uh, to write a chapter each month, and and that's it. it. And I can can typically get a chapter out in in a full day. Um, and you know, the hard part when you spread it out that much is, you know, to keep that sort of cohesive thread going through cause you get amnesia about what you've written before, but, but, um, but that's, that's probably the only way it would work for me right now. I, I so admire Jonathan, people like you who write like full time and that's like your thing. Um, I just don't think I'm good enough at it to, 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 um, I feel like I'm, I'm the right hander, you know being trained to pitch left-handed um, <laughs> when I write in ways yeah. that like speaking feels like a right-handed pitch uh, right. with my strong arm and writing feels more like a left-handed pitch.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: so writer's block is especially painful when it happens to, um,
0: when it happens on your one day of month, you've uh, set aside. Oh
1: my goodness. Yeah. You're up a Creek. <laughs> if it happens on your one day, but I don't know if you've probably never dealt with writer's block in, in a, in a big way, but, but man, oh, it's, it's painful.
0: whole, years of it so really we'll so, yeah yeah um, could have fooled but, me but I've we, read your stuff you could have fooled me well i wasn't writing that stuff when i was oh. on my writer's block mm-hmm. um, we'll talk about that some other day um, all right last question who are the writers who make you want to write
1: eugene peterson yeah uh, top of the list sure um uh, and this is, this is probably my Enneagram 4 coming out. Um, Henry Nowen, um, uh, Brennan Manning. Uh, um, I just, I, I love writers who, uh, when I'm done reading what they've written, I feel
0: more at rest. Um, mm-hmm. And so... Um, I love that, man. I wish, I wish you had said that earlier before we, we still have plenty of time to talk. Okay, and I, I love um, Flannery O'Connor too. Who, work I, I, makes you feel more at rest.
1: Yeah, I mean those are the ones that I because I'm 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 a type A and so I have a restless yeah. dynamic to my personality and my wiring and so it just it's centering, but I also really jive with Flannery O'Connor and and just the uh-huh. you know how she kind of catches you sideways with the yeah. you know the the, the the zinger that makes you feel awful about the universe and then but but. <laughs> brilliantly yeah. tucked in there is, is you know, yeah. redemption, redemption realities, right? The Leonard, Leonard Cohen, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. I think she writes that way. Um, she exposes yeah. the cracks and, yeah. and the light sneaks in um, if, if we're paying attention. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. so I like the disruptive stuff too, as long as it's telling the truth. Um, right. I, 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 I can deal with a really troubling, difficult, um, painful read as long as it's telling the
0: truth. Yeah, yeah. All right, Scott Sauls, thank you so much for being here. This has been fun, and I hope we can get together in other contexts soon.
1: Let's do it. Uh, what what yeah. do you call it? The dude's... Uh, uh, June, oh, the dude. D- June of the dude? June uh, of the dude. It's coming up. June yeah, that's is right. coming, it's coming up. up. Yeah. Yeah. We'll sit Let's... six feet apart and do June of the dude somewhere. <laughs> I'll offer my Sounds driveway if, if, if
0: you prefer, so that sounds great alright man thanks alright thanks the rabbit room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio in the center for entertainment and arts building we're so grateful for their sponsorship their encouragement and the good work they do in Nashville special shout out as well to Jess Ray for letting us use her song too good as part of this podcast Visit jessraymusic.com to hear more of her beautiful songs. The Habit membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com. Slash.